We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This thing on? See, now I'm getting mad. Because it's getting ready to be on. I want my whiskey to bite me a little bit. This is the kind of psychopath that I hang out with. I got beat up outside of a Denny's. The Rockpile Report with Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. He likes to get in X's nose. Something I can't do with this podcast because I drink too much. Chris Kruger. My rollerblading blonde mohawk producer. The pettiest, hardest drinking Bills podcast. I'm an adult. I know what I'm about. Most importantly, we're going to go over his best schematic fits because where he winds up in the league and the type of system that he plays in and the type of fronts that they use is going to have a massive impact in terms of how good of a player he can be in the league. And that's not to say that he's not a phenomenal linebacker prospect, because of course he is. He's arguably the best linebacker prospect in this entire class, but he does have to go to the right spot in order to maximize his skill set. When you watch Dean on tape, not just because of his stature, but also his skill set, he does kind of look like a safety that happens to be playing linebacker. He's only about 5'11 and 230 pounds, so he's built really, really thick, but he's also exceptionally quick in short areas, and he's shown great sideline to sideline range as well, almost to the point where he does kind of look like one of those hybrid safety linebacker combos that we see work all over the place around the league, like Kyle Duggar or Jamal Adams. Welcome everybody to another edition of the Rock Pile Report Podcast. I am your host, Bill, season ticket holder, Drew Gear. That's my producer, Chris Krueger. And that was friend of the show, Brett Coleman, over at his Film Room Breakdown series, talking about arguably the best linebacker in the 2022 linebacking class, N'Kobe Dean. You know, it's funny, Chris, hearing him talk about N'Kobe Dean, just, just talking about the size and the weight. I mean, this is one of the things that I love about this series is because I, have, I immediately have questions. You know, I say to myself, you mean to tell me the most talented linebacker in this class is under six feet tall and under 240 pounds? Like, I get it. Those players, those players are great in college football. When's the last time a small linebacker, a small one, you can remember that was taken early in the draft actually had a good career? When you say small linebacker, the first thing I think of is Deron Lee. <laughs> well, that's my point. Deron Lee, right? Everyone loved that guy. He was a lock for a first-round draft pick. Did I or did I not get hammered on this podcast and at the top of my lungs declare him Keith Ellison 2.0? You did. 
And how did his career go? He came here. Yeah, he was here <laughs> for a period. Yeah. Top 10. Well, no, was he top 10 or top 20? I think he was 19 to the Jets. Oh, God. Call in if you know. It's fucking wild. I don't understand why people are so in love with this idea that elite athleticism at the linebacker position immediately translates to success. And at the same time, why, again, you're big physical guys who maybe don't maybe don't put on the best combine or don't put on you know a freak show when you watch their tape. All of a sudden, people think that they can't play NFL football. It's what makes this position group so varied and so interesting to me. I, I can't wait to get into it tonight as part of our linebacker preview with Mr. E.J. Snyder from the Bootleg Football Podcast. But before we get into that, Chris, tick-tock, tick-tock, we're getting closer. Time's a-wasting. What, the draft? Every week that we sit here as we record these shows, your apartment gets a little emptier and a little emptier. You oh, get yeah, one right. you get one week closer every time I show up here to the day when you finally move in with a woman again. I know. I'm gonna have a new landlord. She's I, gonna be referred to as my landlord is that it? on the show. How does she feel about that? She's a little weirded out by it. <laughs> but how can you no, not? No, you don't say. Yeah, she's not going to be no longer referred to as my girlfriend on the podcast. She will be referred to as my landlord. Now, obviously, us moving the studio is going to be a giant pain in the ass. Assembling the new one, equally kind of a pain in the ass, but a fun one, right? Because we're creating something where nothing was, and it's our own space. Yeah, well, well you got to you got to hang that sign. Look, we already get guests over who think our setup is better than theirs. Once this new place is finished, I mean, the guys at WGR can kiss my ass. We have a, we'll have a much <laughs> a much more professional looking setup than theirs. Yeah. But with that in mind, short of moving this studio and creating the new one, what's going to be the biggest hurdle for you? Moving in with another human being. Is this going to end like a questionnaire of living with a woman again? I just love this. I love I love getting to grill you a little bit. Like, what is it? What's the biggest stumbling block for you? I'm not sure that I will have a stumbling block. I know for her, it's a little weird because... You know, I've essentially been living there. I mean, I've stayed at my apartment maybe like two nights a week. Like when I have to work overnight and I come home in the morning, I'm sleeping here. Question, do you have a drawer? Over there? Yeah. I have a fucking closet, Okay, so, so you have your own closet already. Yeah. So what makes it weird? No, for her, I don't really have a problem with it. I know for her, it's a little weird in the sense of shit gets done around the house like i i don't even the uh i had to like pull out the drain because the shower kept flooding because her hair <laughs> yeah so it happens so pulled it out pulled all the hair out and like it was she didn't say like hey can you do this she mentioned it so i just did it and then we have a the there's a shelf above the bar and like right outside the kitchen mm-hmm Dad had, like, particle board and was already starting to bow. And she had this other piece of board that she, uh, like, painted, and it needed to be put up there. So I just did it. So she's like, I'm not used to... I'm not used to a man, like, 
doing shit like this, <laughs> like pulling hair out of the drain and putting up a new liquor shelf. See, I can, I'll tell you this. It's a good feeling, isn't it? It makes you feel like a badass. Yeah. Because the bar has been set so low that it's almost impossible for you to disappoint them. Yeah. The, uh, <laughs> I, the one thing I'll have to figure out this summer is mowing the lawn. I've maybe mowed the lawn four times in my lifetime. What? Yeah. Oh, how did we? We've been <laughs> friends for how long and I didn't know this about you? You don't know how to mow a lawn? No, I've, uh, it's not. You watched other people do it, so you assume you know. I've done it like four times. <laughs> when I lived with my brother, we had a small patch of grass. <laughs> but Holy shit. But like your dad taught you how to mow a lawn, right? I don't know if taught's the right word. I think um, threatened into doing it properly is the right way to say it. My father, <laughs> my no, my dad's great. It's he and I joke about this. Like we don't have the patience to teach. We just okay. That goes along with my dad because when I was like twelve <laughs> or thirteen, my dad showed me how to mow a lawn, and then at twelve, after doing it one time while he watched, and me not being as good and as an, an adult that did it, I was no longer allowed to mow the lawn. Oh, see, but you got the my, easy way out, though, because for you, failure my, was an option. Yeah. For me and my brothers, it was, hey, you're garbage at this. You better improve <laughs> or else. And it's like, oh, so you you got let off easy. This could have gone the corporal punishment route. It goes in the same way of you with setting a table up for food. You won't let anyone else do it because you don't like the way that other people do it. It's the same thing with my dad in the lawn. Because I was 12 and did it like two times under his supervision, and I wasn't as good as he was after two times at 12. No, no, I got to do it. All right. And then when I lived with my brother in Pine Lake, Georgia, we had... We really didn't have a front yard. We had a backyard that was like six feet by six feet. And so you would mow the lawn in like 15 minutes. So I did that a couple of times over the course of the year that I lived with them. But, you know, I'm, I'm Jess Moses. Jess can mow the lawn. and I'll handle all driveway duties in the winter. I guess that's a fair trade. But holy shit, brother. Mowing the... I, I didn't know that an innocuous question would lead to this just stunning revelation on on a podcast. On a sports podcast, I found out my co-host can't mow the goddamn lawn. Well, I didn't mow the lawn here. Like, my landlord... Well, yeah, he would he, show up on the zero turn yeah, he's and sit that thing down in no time. He's got like a $5,000 zero turn with rims on it and... Yeah. Yeah. I don't think when yeah, I... You've been gravy training it for too long there, Princess. I don't it's think... Time, it's, you know what we're going to do, Chris? We're going to put on a clinic and we're going to film it for the YouTube channel. Me teaching you how to fucking mow a lawn. That'd be a... The Dave Gear School of Mowing the Grass. That's That would be awesome this summer. I'll come over to uh, the poor area of Cheektowaga. You, me, and Dave Gear. We all three of us can mow one lawn and be shirtless. Yeah, shirtless. And I swear to God, if you don't understand the concept of cross hatching, I will. I will whip it into you. You will figure it out, sir. Oh my God, folks! Just do with that on social media what you what you will. Holy shit! My co-host can't mow a lawn. I've never owned a home, so 
<laughs> we are here tonight to talk about linebackers. And we're going to start by taking a look at what's going on with the Buffalo Bills as we break down the position. Their current cap allocation, $25.1 million, which is 17th in the NFL. They only have two starters on hand, though, for all that money. Now, when you look at the position group makeup, they've got Matt Milano and Tremaine Edmonds. And for a team that plays an incredible amount of nickel defense, these two represent the best stand-up linebacker duo I think anybody in the AFC East has to offer. And they're both being paid like it. They provide coverage skills with the kind of... Basically, they give us a unique blend of skills. Edmund has, Edmonds has length, speed, short area athleticism for a middle linebacker that not a lot of players have. He can even shade the slot a bit. That's, that's how much range you're talking about him having. And with his size, he takes away a lot of options in the seam for quarterbacks. Meanwhile, Milano, even though he's smaller, he's more of a rangy and athletic type weak side linebacker, excels in coverage and running backs and tight ends, and is incre- for being a small guy, is incredibly effective against the run. You know, Brett Coleman talks about how he thinks that Matt Milano might be one of the key cogs of this defense because he can draw, he goes, he can play so deep in the front seven box and yet still come downhill, diagnose a run play correctly and make a play at or near the line of scrimmage. It allows our defense to get away with a ton in the secondary. Those two guys. And for all the shit that they take from fans, Edmonds specifically, just about the caliber of their play, you know, the fact that they don't flash enough, the, the game-changing plays that they do or don't make, well, a lot of that comes from the fact that these fans are seeing a handful of cherry-picked plays from some quote-unquote smart guy on Twitter, or they subscribe to Pro Football Focus and see the rankings, just the naked rankings, and see that Milano and Edmonds are ranked 91st and 179th, respectively, among linebackers for coverage grades. Something you should know is that they're also both in the top 20. Edmonds is 12th, Milano is 19th, in the number of coverage snaps taken. Among all linebackers, they're in the top 20 for the number of coverage snaps that they see, which almost intrinsically means there's more opportunities for grade, for their passing cover, coverage grades to take hits. I mean, for fuck's sake, 15 of the top 20 linebackers in coverage snaps didn't land a grade higher than 70. Nine of them are less than 55. Doesn't that make sense, Chris? If you play more, the odds of an offense like doing enough to degrade what is a, a decent but still flawed scoring system like that, it could suppress your overall numbers, right? Yeah. So if you just take that as gospel of, well, that player's not very good, then I don't know what to, I don't know what to tell you. What I do know is that they both play more than 80% of our defensive snacks. Uh, snaps. Snacks. God, I'm hungry. <laughs> yeah, this is what get it. This is what recording a podcast before dinner will fucking do to you. But those two are the backbone of the linebacking core. They play, they're the ones that allow us to play so much nickel. And they represent key cogs in what was the number one defense last year. Behind them is where things get really dicey. Terrell Dodson. The Bills bring back Dodson on a one-year contract this offseason, just like they retain Saran Neal and Taiwan Jones and everybody else who fit into the top five for special team snaps last year. And obviously that's important because they have a new special teams coach and he's going to need help maintaining the integrity of that coverage unit. But what's more important about Dodson's return is that he's the only current member of our linebacking core to play more than 5% of the team snaps on defense. That's right. Five. Cinco. Sunk, if you're into French things, which both I and Ron Swanson are very much not. The fact 
the fact that he has the only real experience of anybody playing actual football in a Bills uniform, and yet he's done so, what, Chris, 5% of all the snaps? Yeah. That's how thin we are in experienced depth at the linebacker position. He's not a terrible athlete. He had one really good half of football I, I can think of off the top of my head against the Dolphins. But short of that, I don't really remember anything positive about Terrell Dodson. I, I just don't. He, he hasn't done, I'll say this, he hasn't done anything to make anybody forget about Tremaine Edmonds or Matt Milano. You've got Tyler Manikavich. He's a resident special teams ace. And he's going to be on the roster whether fans think it's smart to pay $3.5 million for that kind of thing or not. But anyone looking for him to make an on-field impact, don't hold your breath. Just like Taiwan Jones, he's basically part of a position group simply because they don't have, they don't have anywhere else to put him. He's Tyler Taiwan Jones is a running back, but he's had less than ten carries over the last four years. In six years, Tyler Matakavich has played hasn't played more than seven percentage of any team's defensive snaps. And then when you look at our backups. Andre Smith. Remember this one, Chris? No. That guy, Greg Boucher, Boucher, Boucher. Greg Bausch? I, I don't know. Not Greg Bausch. He has more integrity than this. I, some asshat. And in his defense, I've never allowed him to come on here and defend his nonsense, so I guess I shouldn't trash him. But he took to Twitter to say that Andre Lee would be a more impactful middle linebacker than Tremaine Edmonds if they just gave him the opportunity. Despite no evidence... <laughs> To, to, to speak to that. Zero body of work that would reflect that. Those were good times. Smith is a special teamer by trade with the same number of defensive snaps as Josh Allen had last season. Fucking zero. So while it's nice to project that he might be good after a few preseason games, the reality is he's completely unproven as an actual NFL starting linebacker. And then Mark Kelly and Joe Giles-Harris. Lee's interesting because he actually had starting experience in the NFL, but I think, was he released with an injury or something? I remember being surprised when they cut him off the training, uh, uh, during training camp, when they made the cut. Chris, if you could Google that for me. Meanwhile, Joe Giles Harris, he's played for Jacksonville, he's played for Buffalo, he's a preseason camp body. He flip-flops back and forth. His entire career has just been constant flip-flopping back and forth and back and forth off the active roster to the practice squad, released, signed to the practice squad, activated, but then released. He's not anyone you want taking snaps for you. What does it say? One year, released August 31st. Okay, so he was released in 2021 back before we really made final cuts. Yeah, and then he signed with the Raiders. Okay. To the practice squad. And then he got cut from there and came back here. Does anything about what I just said scream to you that like our linebacker situation is great in terms of overall depth? I don't know. Depends on what part of the fan base you want to talk to because some people want to fire Edmonds into the sun. Yeah, there's some out there. And we are going to talk about that tonight through the eyes of an impartial football speaker of football. In terms of the overall philosophy as the Bills approach this draft, Throughout this series, thus far this month, we've talked about positions where investments made by the Bills aren't being tabbed as quote-unquote needs, and would be made more with an eye towards the future and future cap flexibility than to the present day. Unfortunately, the linebacker position isn't one of these. I mean, there's the easy conversation, which is the Bills don't presently have a Sam linebacker or anybody on the roster with a 
the skill set and the physical talents that playing Sam linebacker in a 4-3 defense would take to fill in for the recently departed A.J. Klein. Mechanically, base 4-3 defense requires you to have somebody who's not just having a middle linebacker, not just having a rangy weak side linebacker to patrol the flats, the seams, to be able to drop in the zone in the middle of the field. You also need a Sam to patrol the other flat and to come downhill and crash the line of scrimmage in the event that it's a run play. There's nobody on the depth chart built to both both technique-wise and physically to man that role as of this podcast. And while we play plenty of nickel, teams will inevitably force you into base defense. When they do, you got to have an answer, whether that's at the goal line, whether that's red zone defense, short yardage stuff. So the Bills have to find something there. And then there's the 800-pound elephant in the room. And no, I'm not talking about the fact that not only does Chris not know how to mow a fucking lawn, but he also doesn't believe that salmon is a color. It is not a color. Despite it's all, a fish. Despite all evidence to the contrary, folks. This is what I deal with here. For 2022, Tremaine Edmonds carries the third largest cap hit on the Bills roster at $12.7 million, thanks to the team picking up his fifth-year option, but also deciding not to negotiate an extension that would have allowed them to lower that figure. That doesn't exactly bode well for his future here in Buffalo when you consider a few things about the market. According to OverTheCap.com, the franchise tag next year for linebackers is going to be $18.4 million. That's a larger cap allocation than anyone on the team besides Diggs and Allen. That would make him the third highest paid player on the team. Recent contracts signed by middle linebackers that play a similar role to Edmonds. I'm thinking about the Fred Warners of the world. At least $16 million a year. Fred Warner came in at about $18 million a year last offseason, and that might that might be something Bean simply isn't open to spending at that position when he's got so much money invested elsewhere on the roster. And of all the tradable assets on the roster right now, Edmonds is the one with the most difficult road to retention. At, at least, when you think about the guys, Chris, that we're going to have contracts coming down the pipeline— the one that we would have a harder time keeping who still has value out there is Edmonds, more so than Ed Oliver, Dawson Knox, even Jordan Poyer, who's also playing on an expiring contract. So with that in mind, middle linebacker could also become something that the Bills should worry about entering this draft. Even more so should they make the decision, you know, fans have been pounding the table, that everybody out there is better than Tremaine Edmonds. If, I don't know, <laughs> they could decide that his cap dollars now would be spent better addressing other needs and that his production could be replaced at middle linebacker inside of what is a championship window for the Buffalo Bills. I need you guys to understand this one caveat. There is no Tremaine Edmonds replacement on the free agent market today. But it is worth noting that the Bills currently have $11 million in cap space available. And if you go to Spotrack and you look at their free agent tracker, there's a number of Sam linebackers still available on the open market. More names than I ever remember seeing at this point in the offseason in the past. Anthony Barr, Donta Hightower, Kyle Van Noy, the aforementioned AJ Klein. He's still out there. But the fact that they're still available means that their desired price point isn't being met, meaning a rookie draft pick filling that role for the next few years on a rather cheap salary could be highly attractive to Buffalo. And if the Bills get really wild and decide that their needs in terms of both cap and roster building involve a trade of Tremaine Edmonds, 
That puts them immediately into the market to find another player who could step in quickly and provide them with quality middle linebacker play because you're not finding them in the open market. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And so to help us dig into this incredibly nuanced topic that Chris and I know fucking zero about, Mr. E.J. Snyder from the Bootleg Football Podcast, one of our favorite guests over here, host of Bears Over Beers, uh, co-host and the elder statesman of the Bootleg Football Podcast, currently wearing a Bills-colored bootleg shirt, which, guys, if you haven't seen it over there on the Bootleg Football uh, merch website, you got to go check it out. I'll put a link in the show's description. First of all, how are you doing? And second of all, what are you drinking right now? Oh, I'm doing great. Thank you for having me back. I really appreciate it. It is the busiest time of year. Uh, It is wall to wall right now. So I'm super tired. I woke up at 5 a.m. this morning. I'll probably go to bed at 1 a.m. And uh, it's going to go like that until the draft. Uh, seven days a week. So I am drinking seltzer at the moment because I want to stay somewhat coherent um, throughout nope. the podcast. No coffee? Actually do some, uh, I just finished the coffee. <laughs> uh, true Northwest fashion. Just finished the evening coffee that'll that'll power me through most of that film work. But I'm, I'm great. Somebody said, I can't wait for the draft to get here. And I was like, A, don't steal my time. And B, don't don't rush Christmas. Like, this is the best time of the year. So, uh, Chris, what are you drinking over there? I have a old fashioned with the Woodenville bourbon, and then I smoked Ooh. it with hickory. I'll smoke cocktails again. We actually talked about smoke cocktails on the Bootleg Football Podcast. Oh, I'm we, sure. We, with with we bread around, your, I have no doubt that you did. Yeah, we did after my last appearance here. Uh, but it's funny. Uh, that you mentioned Woodenville, um, one of our listeners uh, at Bootleg randomly tagged me in a, hey, I was in the Northwest, and after hearing all the good things from the draftman, I went to Woodenville Distillery and tagged me on Twitter. And so, uh, yeah, I reached out to the folks that do our sponsorship and was like, you know, for all the free hits we get in Woodenville, seems like we ought to reach out to them and say, hey, because um, Brett did a thing when he was up oh, here. Oh, yeah. And, yeah, yeah. No, yeah, Woodenville's good stuff. It's like, Brett's the reason that we know about it, because he turned Chris yeah. on to it. Chris gets it for me for my birthday. And we know Brett can't get it in California. We had it uh, with him last week when we talked about the defensive line. So it's hilarious. We just kind of wanted to <clears throat> rub it in his face, because we know that he can't get it yes. in California. So Somehow we can well, get that, it. I, I can get it at the liquor store at the end of my street, but he can't get it, yeah. and he's on the same coast. That's hilarious yeah, no, to me. I mean, Woodenville is literally 20 six miles from me so if i really wanted to drive to the distillery i can but i can also get it at costco like a couple miles from my house so yeah 
Meanwhile, I'm sitting here. Andrew McGowan was nice enough to mail us a bunch of San Diego craft beer. I'm drinking Ooh. a Harland Brewing beverage here. It's a Zaka Citra Hazy IPA. I've never heard of it before. Chris, what does that smell right. like to you? Let me give this. Probably has a little bit of orange to it. Yeah, I smell orange. It smells <clears> good. <throat> I'm a little sick, so I can I can hardly smell anything. Well, orange should be perfect. For no, I see Maybe that. Out a little bit. It's a little creamy for a hazy IPA. There's not a lot of the... Some IPAs are a little bit bitter, and they're kind of mm. thin. This one's a little bit thicker. It's got a full body to it, but I like it because it finishes nice. Well nice. done, Andrew. This is a great beer. Coming in at 7%. San Diego has... That's a just, great one. Just to plug San Diego's craft beer scene, it's really good. Like, Stone Brewing is in San Diego. Like, there, there are a lot of good craft brewers in San Diego. They have a great beer scene. So we're here talking about linebackers tonight. I'm going to slug a couple of these. Uh, <laughs> I want to start this conversation by saying this. The NFL draft has a weird thing about drafting. Like The NFL is, as a whole, when it comes to drafting linebackers, there's this weird thing they do that I find intriguing. Chris, you know how I like to make charts. Yep. So as I go to the notes, <laughs> I took the top yep. 60 picks you know, out of the top 60 over the course of the last four seasons. And I took a look at all the linebackers that were drafted between inside linebackers and outside linebackers. Most prominently uh, looked at as like three, four outside linebackers, rush linebackers, like your Rashawn Gary's and stuff like that. And it's funny because when you break it down, I, th- there seems to be pretty much six to seven every single year like clockwork. It's the same number of them. It's usually three to three, four and two. It's pretty evenly split. <laughs> And at the same time, when you look at the makeup of them, in the top 20, every year there's what, uh, 18, there was two taken. 2019, there was four taken. Uh, 2020, there was one taken in the top 20. 2021, there was three. And then there's a bunch of them taken in the top 10. 2019, there was a giant run on them early. You remember that. That was the, that I wanted, oh, who was a part of that class, Chris? I'm trying to think. Um, like I would know. Yeah, you wouldn't know. But a lot of these guys go on to be busts, and out of those six, there's only a couple pro bowlers out of the entire group. When you take a look year over year, out of those six guys taken in the top 60, one or two pro bowlers, or at least have one pro bowl appearance in their career thus far, that's it. So for all the pomp and circumstances that these linebackers get, it seems like the production is kind of middling, and I don't really understand how that works. Like, I guess, why do you think... Why do you think linebackers have such a hard time making the jump to NFL football compared to what these these draft nicks within these franchises think they're capable of? Well, it's a good question, but the first thing you probably need to do is set the relative floor, right? It's the NFL draft, and one out of three is great. Like, if you're a GM and you mm-hmm. hit on one out of three anything, like not, not linebackers. And there are mm-hmm. certain positions, especially positions in round one, that carry less risk and positions that carry more risk. Now, one of the riskiest positions in the first round, and we're going to see a bunch of them this year, wide receiver. Yes. One of the least risky positions in the first round, although they're rarely picked, is interior offensive line, centers or guards, which, again, with positional devaluation, we don't see very many picked in the first round, so that has an effect on the numbers as well. But the ones that are picked have the highest percentage of making it depending on how you 
define that. You define it as Pro Bowls, and that's fine. That's that's a very popular way to do it. Um, linebackers, in terms of their hit rate, are pretty decent. They're in the middle, uh, you know. And you might say, well, that doesn't sound like a decent hit rate. Again, for the draft, where one out of three is good for you know an overarching number, it ain't bad. Um, and I don't think they have a tremendously hard time transitioning to the league any more so than say nickel corners or okay. uh wide receivers quarterbacks like the the fail rate is pretty high on a lot of positions um i don't think it's particularly any higher but in terms of value i want to plug a really great piece of content that has nothing to do with me deontay lee uh who just joined the athletic has a pin tweet if you go to his his twitter right now um, that is all about inside linebacker and the value thereof that the league has placed on them. And he wrote a, a specific piece on this like two days ago. And Deontay's brilliant, like really one of the best analysts working right now. And he, he focused on this particular topic like, hey, what's the deal with like inside linebackers and their value in the league and where they get drafted? So go check out that piece by Deontay Lee. So this is something with that in mind, here's something that you kind of has, you have some interest or at least some skin in the game here. When I think about linebacker transitioning to the NFL and how (laughs) it's like no transition from the draft to football is linear. Like just because you get drafted high doesn't mean you're necessarily good. But then sometimes it's like a differentiation between what kind of traits do you think will make one guy more successful than another? And I look at the bears, Roquan Smith, and the Bills' Tremaine Edmonds, drafted in the same class back in 2018. The reason Roquan Smith was taken before Tremaine Edmonds, because Edmonds is, athletically, he's a freak. He's not anything you'll see in most draft classes. We came into this conversation telling our listeners, there is no replacement on the free agent market for a Tremaine Edmonds. And there's highly unlikely to be a one-for-one match in this draft or the next draft or the draft after that. The reason Roquan Smith was drafted ahead of him was because of his ability to diagnose plays. They figured he was a little bit headier of a player. His ceiling might not be as high, but his floor was definitely higher. And so that kind of differentiated them and set them apart. So for the purposes of this conversation, he was viewed as being more pro-ready than Edmonds was. Everyone said, oh, you're going to take more time. Edmonds has two Pro Bowl appearances. Roquan Smith just got his first one this past year. I guess when I'm looking at this and I say, okay, when you when people go to various draft outlets and take a look at power rankings, quote unquote, or big boards, mm-hmm. for sure, those numbers can basically like those aren't a good measure for most positions, but definitely because the situation matters. Obviously, where you go matters, but also there's traits within that that make a prospect acclimate faster like Isaiah Wilson being taken at the eighth pick that had disaster written all over it before it became one there's there's mental things there's attitude things there's student of the game type things and then what was the uh, you'll know who was the linebacker that the Cardinals drafted I think they took him in the top 10 and he was saving Collins or Simmons uh, which one because they did it twice Simmons and he was a relative non-factor like there's some teams that will, you know, we were joking about Duran Lee as we opened up this conversation to start the show. Some of these guys are going to get overdrafted based on traits that you saw in college that simply can't translate. 
You know, for Roquan mm-hmm. Smith, the things he did well, those are translatable. His floor just wasn't as high as Tremaine's because of the athleticism. I... Eh, no. This is where measuring. This is where measuring with Pro Bowls gets pretty funny. I would say. Objective. So what would you use? That's my point. So what would you use? Well, as? I it again. You said a lot of important things there, and landing spot is is very very important. Uh, a player's mental makeup in terms of their what people call FI, their football intelligence, is is very important as well. Uh, Roquan's. FI, football intelligence, his ability to diagnose is what you called it, was remarkably higher. <laughs> Edmonds' yes. physical gifts are notable. So are Roquan's. Like, they're mm-hmm. not as good as Edmonds, but Roquan is an excellent athlete. I'm a Bama guy. You don't have to convince me that Roquan Smith hauls right. ass. So, <laughs> there, you know, he had a physical edge for sure because he has freak light traits, but Roquan was in, in no way a bad athlete. Um, if we're looking at relative athletic scores, which compares, you know, athletic traits since 1987, mm-hmm. right? Roquan's ranking was was good and high. He's he's super mobile. He's got good size. Um, he's played objectively. If you're if you're looking at grading out linebacker play, and however you want to do that, there's people that say PFF is good. You could look at pressure rate. You could look at coverage uh, success, uh, and any number of factors, depending on, again, the role that linebacker plays. Cause some linebackers aren't charged with coverage. Some are, uh, as a middle linebacker, Roquan certainly charged with coverage. He's played very well. I made the argument, not after the end of this, this season, but the season before last that Roquan Smith was not only a pro bowler, he was an all pro. He should have been an all pro. He was, he was within the top three conversation up there with guys like Fred Warner, who is, I would say ostensibly the best inside linebacker in the league right now in terms of overall value. Now, Edmonds has put it together. I've made the comparison in the past that Edmonds is the defensive version of Josh Allen, right? A guy with tremendous traits who needed to hone them and and needed to do a lot of that, had a lot of work to do in that area. And he has done that. Like he has morphed himself into, with the help of the coaches, a very effective football player, as has Josh, most obviously. Um, that doesn't always happen, but you're right. Teams will bet on potential. Um, and you say can't translate to the game. You know, the answer is don't translate to the game for a number of reasons. They could in the right hands. Yes. But again, that fit and uh just all those other factors coming together, which is why the draft. And people say it's a crapshoot. It's not a crapshoot. It's just a limited odds gambling game. Yes. And you have to hit multiple things together, right? The physical ability of the prospect, the fit with the system, their ability to take coaching, their want or drive to get better. Like you have to have at least three of those to get the kind of results you're talking about, which are top level at the top level of the game, you know, Pro Bowl results, all pro results, whatever else. So when we talk about taking some of that and now taking a look at the actual makeup of this year's class through that lens, because you say, listen, it, it's not just about the athletes themselves, but where they could be drafted, who might be interested, where they end up. You take a small linebacker like Deron Lee and you put him in the Jets who don't really understand what they want to do with him. And they just assume, hey, we could plug him in there as a coverage linebacker. I remember hearing the phrase, he was going to be the player that uh, could cover Gronkowski. Oh no, yeah. he's going to be the coverage because we saw him do it in college. And he he the, the Chris pointed out he played for the Bills. 
Like the fact that he was drafted that highly for by the Jets and then he spent time in a Bills uniform tells you everything you need to know about how his career went. So when you look at this class, do you how many guys jump off the page to you in terms of game-changing talent and how many of them are going to have game-changing talent that need the right system? Mm, that's a great question. Um, just looking at this list, it's a fairly deep position in this year's draft. Uh, we were talking about this on bootleg the other night that uh, inside linebacker feels like the defensive version of tight end to me. There's been some tight end drafts where there were one or two stars at the top and then there was a big shelf and then there was a bunch of guys that might fit your system given a specific role inside linebacker was kind of like that too there was some crust and then there was a bunch of guys that might be able to help but there was a big drop off and there wasn't what we would really call significant depth for a few years running this is not that class this class has good players uh, certainly through the top third or half and quite a few of them. Uh, and it feels like that kind of breath of fresh air in terms of, Hey, there's a lot of guys here that could contribute. So just off the top of my head, um, Devin Lloyd fits the sort of all everything. Don't really care where he goes. He's got that kind of game changing talent. Um, Nicobe Dean, another Georgia linebacker. Uh, you know, he, he has game changing talent. He's going to be more system dependent. Uh, well, it's interesting. Christian Harris. Well, I was going to say, it's interesting you talk about Nicobe Dean because we opened the show with Brett mm-hmm. talking about him in one of his recent film room videos, kind of yep. talking about the skill set of Dean. Now, there's rumors about a knee injury. Nobody really knows. It's kind of up in there. Yeah. But let's say he's healthy. Sure. You're talking about, you just said it, a guy who might need the right place because he's a 5'11 linebacker. That's not... Mm-hmm. Say what you want about college production, but mm-hmm. 5'11, 226, there's running backs who are bigger than you. There be- are, and and I've had to... It's funny you mentioned size, because with this, this position specifically, inside linebacker, and this happened for me five or six years ago now, I was holding on to size as a thing that mattered. So... That changed in the NFL. The role of the inside linebacker changed as the league became more pass-focused. You had to be able to pass cover to play linebacker in this league or you'd be exposed, right? You needed at least one guy that could do that. And these days, really, both of your linebackers need to be able to do that or offensive coordinators are going to figure it out in a hurry. So linebackers got smaller. They were converted safeties. They're, you know, And pretty soon we had all pro linebackers who were playing the season at you know, ostensibly 218 pounds. But if you listen to people inside the organization, Darius Leonard plays sometimes down as low as 213. So I had to swallow because I had taken several of the smaller linebackers four or five years ago and said, hey, great player, but look, he's under 220. He's not going to be effective. Uh, Had to go back the next year, and it's one of the things that draft analysts always have to do is go back and self-scout and say, where did I miss and why did I miss? And one of the things I was holding on to is size at inside linebacker. There's a lot of guys that play under 220 now and are very effective. Um, And it's just the idea. I mean, we were talking about the other night that a guy that's 235 is positively hulking these days. Like that's a big dude at inside linebacker these days. Um, So his size doesn't worry me a ton uh, as long as you're not putting him in 
a system that requires really good size from inside linebackers. I'm thinking of the Belichick system, the, the Flores system, you know, the Belichick tree. Like they like some size from their inside linebackers. The Kobe Dean's not probably going to be on top of their list. Would he make a good Patriot? Yeah, eventually, but not where he's going to be drafted, right? They're going to pick a guy a little farther down. It's got more size for their system. Other systems, you don't need size. Most notably, the Indianapolis system, which is now in an extension of the Chicago system with Matt Eberflus being the new head coach there. Their linebackers, you know, Darius Leonard and Okereke, like those are not big guys. No, like, they, and they're, they're they've not. been very effective. Like, again, for that system. So, Nicobe Dean needs the right landing spot. He's very sharp. And mental quickness makes you faster at this position specifically. Things happen pretty quickly at the second level, not as quickly as the defensive line where somebody's on you immediately, but very quickly you need to be able to move. His brain works real well. He was the signal caller for that national championship defense. He's the, he's the pilot. He's the quarterback. He's the guy that called all the signals for Georgia. And Georgia is a very complicated defense. Kirby's defense, um, very complicated. Uh, for college defense. And he was a guy that ran that and ran it obviously very successfully. He came away with a national championship. So he's quick physically. He's extremely quick mentally. He's fast. He's a good tackler. Um, he's got a lot of attributes that if you put him in the right system, he could be very good and the leader of the defense very quickly, which is not something you you heap onto a lot of rookies. So that's interesting to me because you're talking about essentially what I'm taking away from this is that it's not just physical stature. It's not just statistics. You have to look at the processing angle of it because any linebacker that can process well is probably going to have a better leg up going into this kind of transition to pro football. Um, 100%. And Edmonds is the poster child for that. Okay. That was the the thing that he lacked, right? All the physical skills. So if we're going to turn this into a Bill centric conversation, because you've already you've already you've already told us about the depth that you think this class has, which is great if you're a team in the Bills shoes. We have a problem. We have a problem here. The Buffalo Bills with Tremaine Edmonds. Um, You've already given us your thoughts on him. You think that he has kind of come into his own. You saw him as this Josh Allen type, this super athletic piece of clay that needed to be molded and that he's kind of found his way to that. The problem is is that he's due to make a lot of money at a position that recently has been getting paid a lot of money. You mentioned Fred Warner. Fred Warner's contract made me sick to my stomach because when I saw it, I said to myself, there's probably no way in hell that the Bills, with all the money that they're going to spend elsewhere, can match that. There just isn't. And sure enough, here we are sitting with Tremaine Edmonds on his fifth-year option, and they haven't really made any moves to try to extend him to lower what his current cap hit is. <clears throat> Franchise tag's too expensive. You're not going to do that. I, you're looking about at potentially letting him walk at the end of this season for nothing. So maybe something happens before then. Because Bean is pretty shrewd when it comes to not wanting to lose. Nobody ever wants to lose. That's why you see some of these. That's why you see Tariq Hill getting traded. It's why you see some of these players. Jordan Poyer right now is pounding the table for a new deal. People are already starting to say, well, maybe he's part of a trade package then for a safety, for something else. Do you think that the Bills, as they're presently constructed, this is the first part of my question. Do you think they'd be making a mistake moving on from him? 
knowing what you know about him as a player and how hard, it, how almost impossible it is to find the mix of what he has in terms of the physical intangibles, now his intelligence and how he diagnoses the game, and the fact that he's been a team captain pretty much since he got here at the age of 19. I think when he turned 20, they voted him as team captain on the doorstep of what could be a Super Bowl run. That's a great question. Um, it's going to be difficult. You mentioned that at the top. And Bean and Bean and Co. are going to have to be very creative about how they structure it if they do because they have a lot of money tied up elsewhere. And there is this trend in the league that you mentioned with the Fred Warner contract and, and quite frankly, a couple of other contracts that have occurred. There is the tendency to pay one inside guy upper crust money because again if you're keeping him and you're saying we're going to lock you up he knows that's what he could go make elsewhere if he is one of those handful of guys and i'm talking about 10 or 12 players league-wide maybe 15 you know that's half a guy per team in the <laughs> nfl um and they're gonna make crazy money they're gonna make fred warner money mm. you know and edmonds is is smart enough to know and his agent is smart enough to know that he's he's in that conversation right he's he can demand money that is right there in that range he also knows where he's at the team is well constructed it's not a one and done kind of run for the bills uh bean has built the bills to be perennial contenders he's gonna have a chance as long as josh is in town he's gonna have a chance at winning titles you know at division titles at super bowls so he can decide i'm not saying hometown discount i'm saying he can decide do i want to go to a new place make more coin and maybe not have a quarterback in the barn uh and that's a decision he'll have to make if the bills want to keep him they're going to have to push a lot of money out to the end of the deal and that's dangerous because that is a ticking time bomb you're no oh, sure to deal you're gonna have to deal with that eventually. you guys in chicago now, have, have witnessed the fallout of that recently <laughs> you, well you absolutely and and poorly done like ryan pace did not manage the end of his tenure well and he, he put a lot of bombs on the roster and and ryan poles uh although he has the same initials has been savagely scraping those off the books and i'm, yeah. I'm all for that um, but it is it's quite painful in terms of what you're left with. Now, the idea that you can't replace him, you can, but there's going to be a gap. So how big is the gap? A rookie linebacker is not going to come in and play at the level either of captaincy or competency of Edmonds. You're going to need probably at least two thirds or three quarters of a season, which, again, in a title window, might not be soon enough or could be a full year and they're going to blossom as a sophomore. So you've got Edmonds for this year. Can you pick a guy, come in, learn enough that he picks up, you know, 80, 85% of what Edmonds is at the start of next year. If the bills are to let Edmonds go. And well, that's probably the smartest. And that was going to be my question. See, this is, I don't even have to send you prep sheets. I don't have to give you loaded questions. You're a fucking professional. You send people prep sheets. Uh, some people require them. It's actually, oh, it's, okay. It, I, some I people require them. Shorted. Some people require <laughs> them. It's, it's, this is why I like I'll talking take that to that as a compliment. This is why I like talking to guys like you. Because I don't have to prep you on this because that's that's the follow-up question to this. Because <clears throat> there there's two roads, right? You can say, hey, I could gamble on one of these high-round draft picks if I'm going to let Edmonds walk. Like, let's say, let's say Brandon Bean gets a couple glasses of high west in him and decides, you know what? <laughs> let's pull the trigger. Call the Giants. Let's do this thing. And yeah. Tremaine Edmonds gets shipped out of town for a top 15 draft pick. 
you could try to spin one of those into a replacement level middle linebacker. But like we just talked about at the top of the show when I broke down top 60 linebackers, one out of three. Oh, sure. It's not bad, but if you're one of the three, you just took a giant shit all over your Super Bowl plans. Like, like the, you're, you, you built this thing to contend, and now you shot yourself in the foot in the process of pursuing that. Or you take kind of a nuanced approach and say, okay, let's look at the depth of this class. Let's Instead of trying to invest a premium pick and a day one starter, quote unquote, let's go out here and see if we can't find a developmental middle linebacker prospect that still has some size and some athleticism. It could be a light version of what he brought to the table just at a fraction of the cost. Because you, with the defense as talented as this one is and with all the money they've put into it, you could probably live and die by that. You could probably get away with some of that. In your opinion, how many of those types of guys are there in this class? Are there any specifically that you would point to and say, I could see this guy as a developmental pick to one day next year, 2023, be the Tremaine Edmonds piece of your defense? Yeah, there are guys, and up and down the board, and the other part of that nuance approach is you might be able to, because of positional devaluation, not a ton of these guys are going to go in the first round. I think the current over-under for inside linebackers in the first round is two and a half, and that is a very troublesome number because two will probably go, and that gives you – that's the perfect line, right? Yep. Because one more might go. I don't think so, but two is two's the number. Um, so that means there's going to be some of these top rated linebackers available in the second and a little bit farther on down. And then there's the developmental guys that you're going to get a couple of rounds later who have a ton of physical skills. You could take one of each if you wanted to, like, especially if you went and got extra picks. That's that's what we're talking about here is if Edmonds goes out of town and they get some number of picks in return for that, you could you could double dip which gives you a little bit of insurance against, hey, he's not one of the three guys, but the guy we got in the fifth turns out that, you know. Matt Milano was, was a fifth-round draft pick. Now he's making $13 million, yeah. and he's one of the best uh, weak-side linebackers in the AFC. Who are, who are some of the I, names fans should look at for these developmental picks? Like, who should they familiarize yeah. themselves with? Well, it's funny you mentioned Milano because I was just watching a guy that I thought, oh, man. This guy has shades of Milano, and it's Grant Morgan from Arkansas, who has the best nickname in college football, the captain. Turns out he was their defensive captain. Okay. Come on, is Captain Morgan? Come on, give me a break. That's the best nickname <laughs> ever. That's awesome. That's a slam it's dunk. It's so good. Um, he's he's fun, but this this is not the Tremaine, uh, the Tremaine Evans, uh, Terrell Evans, like, replacement. That's, that's not what we're talking about here. Um, so at the top of the draft, if Christian Harris doesn't go in the first round, which he probably won't, he's not projected to right now. That is, that's somebody you could grab even late in round two, probably again, because of positional devaluation that is just starting to scratch the surface. We saw him in the last two games of his college career really ascend. And, and that's what everybody's looking at right now and going, Oh man, is, is he going to continue that? Because if he does, he could be in the top tier conversation very quickly. Um, very physically gifted linebacker, tons of speed. There was a, a section of that third quarter against Georgia where he just he was everywhere. They couldn't get away from him. He he just took over the game for like five to seven plays. Um, so that's a sort of up high. 
Um, I really like Chad Muma from Wyoming, and he's probably going to be late second or early third. He's tremendous. If you like Logan Wilson in Cincinnati, like he's Logan Wilson's kind of protege. He followed Logan Wilson, same program, has a lot of the same traits. Um, and then there's, uh, quote unquote, the other Georgia linebacker who I actually think might be the best of the three, and that's Channing Tindall. Um, great size. Uh, tested better, I think, than I expected him to based off his tape. I didn't expect him to test poorly. He tested really well. And the reason we were talking about this the other night, the reason that I like him the most is I think he's the most linebackery of the three linebackers. Like he loves contact. He loves to go take on the offensive lineman, roll his hips. Um, He's fast. He diagnoses. He hits hard. He does all those things. And with that athleticism, he can cover. He didn't. He wasn't asked to do it a lot. That was more Quay Walker's job or Nicobe Dean's job in that Georgia defense. But Channing Tindall. So those are the guys up high that are like physically gifted. Going to go in probably the second or high third round. Uh, that if you were going to sort of take that pick and spin it, those would be guys I'd look at. If you're talking about the down the board guys who are physical marvels uh but have uh more holes in their game or less experience um there's a bunch uh there's two from penn state um jesse lucetta is one uh and brandon smith is the other both of these guys are right about 250 pounds so we just spent time talking about how linebackers are 30 pounds legitimately 30 pounds lighter than that um they're physical marvels they fly to the ball uh, they're not as nuanced as some of the players I talked about at the top. Like Muma is one of the best pass coverage linebackers in this draft. Christian Harris can certainly cover. Tyndall has the capacity but wasn't asked to. Those guys, for the most part, were not asked for pass coverage. but And they trigger and unleash all that athleticism. The highlights are staggering when either of them do that. And that was, honestly, that was Edmonds, right? If he If he guessed right coming out, Again, as an extremely young player, he smashed people. And that's what you see with Smith and Luketta out of Penn State. So those are a couple of, you know, physical specimens much farther down the board. Um, let me take a quick check on their ADP. Uh, so Brandon Smith is currently at 94 and Luketta is 162. So um, these are these are players you're going to get a shot at farther on down that are physically gifted who could make an impact, but you're going to have to just like you did with Edmonds round off those sharp edges. No, I like that. And I like knowing that there's options and I think our lay because that's the thing, Chris, it's a shit, it's a shit sandwich and everyone's going to have to take a bite of it. Right. I mean, that's to, to quote full metal jacket. You've got a linebacker. Yeah, it's delicious. Who, <laughs> it's a, like Chris, you as a it's fan, delicious. you have this linebacker who is finally starting to play like the guy you drafted him to be. But now because of the way you've constructed this all-world football team that's a Super Bowl favorite, you, you might not be able to keep him. It sucks. I mean, I'd be interested in that guy that EJ just said that was linebackery. Reminds me of uh, your boy, Reggie Ragland. <laughs> Pure linebacker. <laughs> Nothing. This is, no, see, we have a we over here, we, there's a sore spot when it comes to the Buffalo Bills and Alabama football players. For some reason, For sure. everybody else in our division gets the good ones. And we end up with Reggie Ragland. Um, what, what was his name? Uh, there was a time. Uh, Quanjo, Cyrus Quanjo. EJ, there was a time early hey, on. you got O.J. Howard now? Come on. I was right about that. 
Yeah. You were, sir. You were. You were. EJ, there was a time early in our podcasting venture. You probably get this with Brett or doing your own stuff with Bills on Beers where you're new at this and you're like, hey, I'm going to try this. And then you probably do it. And, it, you know, it that doesn't work out. We're not going to do that. Drew and I tried doing a recording a podcast while the draft was going on and it was I think it was six, 16 or 17 when we traded our number 10 pick to Kansas City and we moved back to 27 and there was a point when we got to 27 where like I'm like we can't put this out because you just lost your mind that Buffalo drafted Trey White and not Reuben Foster Oh, my God, I thought it was the biggest travesty on earth. And again, this is why you're here, <clears throat> because I've made it clear to everybody who <laughs> listens to this show, I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about. That's why we need people like you to kind of help us find our way, because they're they're like us. Like I said, the, the, the titles of these shows, we've seen all these other podcasts come out and call their show, you know, the draft, and they're actually giving analysis. For Chris and I over here, it's it's the NFL draft for dummies. It's Chris and I are going to play the... We're not playing. This isn't an act. We're going to ask what we think are intelligent questions because I'm sure other people out there want to hear the answers to them. They just don't know how to word it properly. And they don't have the access to people like you guys or at least the familiarity to know to go ask you guys or to listen to your material. You come here and educate us as well as them. I'm learning on the fly. It's great. It's like going back to school, except I get to be hammered while I do it. Which, honestly, if I could have done that. How is that different? Well, I'll say this. I probably would have passed math, too, the first time around if they had allowed me to drink in class. Fucking geometry. Like, whoever needs to prove a triangle. That's not a real thing that I've ever run into in my adult life. I'm, I'm, I'm getting away from things here. All right, so we've talked about the Edmonds thing, and we've talked about some of the people who could maybe come in here and replace him. The old Sam Linebacker conversation. Oh, yes. <laughs> Sam here we go. Linebacker. Here's what I'll say. The way that the Buffalo Bills like to play their 4-3 defense, there isn't a, a huge over... There, there's not an overwhelming need for that role because we don't play a ton of base. Our two starters played more than 80% of our snaps which tells you how much nickel they play. Even when it's to their own detriment, they will play nickel. They will right. dare you to try to run on their nickel packages because they trust Teron Johnson and Saron Neal and whoever else they can plug into that slot role to be sound against the run. And they say, listen, we're going to dare you to continue running it because we think we can do well enough that we'll make you throw it eventually into this defense. And that's not what you want to do. At the same time, when this defense was at its best, we had somebody who could make an impact. Chris, the Baltimore game in 2019, where like it took our offense forever to find their footing, but then they come back down the stretch and almost come back and win the game on the final play. Lorenzo Alexander was a man on fire, and he wrecked Baltimore's game plan all day long. The second time around when we played them, we essentially put to Trent Murphy defensive end but he was playing like an outside linebacker he did a lot of contain rather than rush the passer i contained the passer and it just flummoxed everything baltimore was trying to do it so when you're talking dominating sam linebacker games for the bills the latest one i think of is two seasons ago seattle was here and aj oh. klein AJ Klein tore them a new one because what they did was they identified, hey, 
their offensive line's weak at the tackle positions. Here's what we're going to do: we're going to line up our, our we're going to line up in an even front. And we're going to drop our Sam at the line of scrimmage and just let him hunt. We're, there's no tight end that's going to stop him. And he harassed Russell Wilson all game long. Two sacks, a strip sack fumble. Like it, our defense is at its some of its best ball. Teams that run, teams that pass, when you have a dynamic presence, even though it's only 20% of the snaps. Yeah. The thing is, is that we don't currently have anybody on the roster who has the, not just the skill set for that role, but that has any fucking NFL experience. Everybody except for our starters has no experience. So they're either going to have to go to the free agent market, which has a lot of names on it, but some that tells me that they've priced themselves out of jobs so far or there's the draft if we're talking about trying to find somebody to take those 20 percent, the 20 percent of snaps how many players in this year's draft class do you think could potentially come in and eat up those 20 percent and not be a liability or at least could be (laughs) could be truly impactful yeah i think there's a wide range between those two statements, right? Truly yep. impactful and not a liability. Okay, so let's like, focus on not a liability because yeah. in 20%, I don't need you to change the game. I need you to not cost me the game. Yes, and that is a great way to look at it for a position like Sam that you are going to play, you know, an ever-decreasing number of snaps in the modern NFL is give me a guy that can make a play or two, maybe a season, but not make any catastrophic errors that are going to be talked about on sports radio for the next two decades. Um, And there are guys that can do that in this draft. And again, typically you're going to be getting guys with more limited skill sets that you're going to be getting later. Yeah. So you can get them at a value and that's they're not the sexy picks. Anybody who plays that role, they're not getting the hype that these off ball or at least more off the ball zone coverage linebackers are. Yeah, because they have a much bigger job that is uh, more complicated, and therefore you're going to get a higher pick invested. Um, There are a couple that I'll talk about. Um, uh, One is Micah McFadden from Indiana, and he's got a really good physical profile for a Sam. Uh, which again, if you put him in the middle and ask him to run, you know, three out of four downs with, you know, occasionally a slot receiver or a really fast tight end, um, not great, but he's six one two forty. Now that sounds like a Sam to me and he's pretty athletic as well. Played in the big 10 understands run fits, understands edge setting. Um, a lot of things you're going to ask a Sam to do can, can smash a bigger, slower tight end at the line. Uh, again, uh, I think that's on the Big Ten entrance exam. Can't get in unless you can do that. Um, and the other one is less traditional, but way more fun. And if you know, if I'm your DC and I want to have an interesting package where I'm playing base, where I can do some things, um, I'm going to go get Kyron Johnson from Kansas. Um, he doesn't really fit any traditional profile. He's Kind of like a really short, small edge, uh, but Kansas played him at middle as well. But I really think he would fit at Salmon. He is going to be available late because nobody can really figure out what to do with him. The other thing about picking him late is he's going to be a special teams demon, McFadden as well, from day one. 
you know, low to the ground, solidly built, likes to tackle fast as hell. Like that's a special teams player. So, but Chiron legit has some flashes both on his tape at Kansas and he went to the senior bowl and rolled up a couple of really prominent tackles uh, on pass rush drills in the end zone as an, as an edge. They were like, well, let's see if you can do anything. And they put him against Trevor Penning and Abraham Lucas. And he rolled both of them like turtles. And everybody was like, who is this guy from Kansas? And it's Kyron Johnson, uh, athletic Marvel undersized played, what you would consider out of position. Nobody his size is going to play edge in the NFL regularly. But uh, again, if you got Jannard Avery playing, you know, in the league, there's a place for Kyron Johnson. You're going to get him late. It's going to line up with your value. If he doesn't hit Sam, he's going to play ST. Like I, I love him. I think he's great, but somebody's going to have to take him. That's creative. And then you're, base package isn't just like hey we're just here to kind of make you do something else it's i can bring that guy off the edge if i want to because he's got that skill set so i'll surprise a couple people before they go oh we have to account for him this is what's great about me having chris in studio like my own personal jamie from the rogan podcast is that while you're talking <laughs> he's up here pulling up the rask rask con- comparison between michael mcfadden and tremaine edmonds uh-huh. mcfadden doesn't have the height he doesn't have the weight, or at least he's not on par with Edmonds. <clears throat> but yeah. his 40-yard and his, in particular his 10 and 20-yard splits are pretty incredible. Overall, his shuttle and his three-coner, it's crazy the athleticism that this Michael McFadden guy has. Like Those are some ridiculous times. That's yep. okay. All right, see? Now you've piqued my interest and you've given me something else to look at ahead of this draft. Now, I've got a couple names because I'm not a complete slouch. You know, I'll find a sure. couple guys. I watch I watch college football. Things pop out to me and I dig into them the same way they do when I watch when I watch and then rewatch and then sometimes depending on how bad or good the game went, I watch it a third time. Bills games. Can we rephrase that? You watch the SEC? Yeah, I watch the SEC. <laughs> but I hey, well, but I got sure. one that's outside the SEC for the first time in a long time. So oh. Yeah. Well, first of all, you stole some of my thunder. This is again why I like you, Brandon Smith. He was one. He was one of my three. Uh, I I got Brett to gasp and swear on bootleg because I said, uh, and I quote: "If you're a squeamish listener, mm-hmm. turn away now." I said, "When Brandon Smith sees it and triggers, it looks like a car hitting a raccoon." <laughs> well, that's it. Like. The yeah. guy's is six foot three, two forty one, elite athleticism. He posted the third highest RAS score for linebackers ever, ever. Yeah, he's. I mean, Penn State is a freak factory for testing. They always produce their their strength and conditioning program is legendary. They they always produce like multiple guys. Your linebacker, you basically going back to the days of Paul Plazlesny. They are yeah, linebacker, you. I mean. You look at um, uh, Odafe Owe mm-hmm. last year. You look at Michael Parsons. Like this, this is not a new thing. Like no. Penn State always has four or five guys that you're like, he did what? Yeah, and it, you know Smith is uh, the next in what I would call a very long line of those guys. So the and other two Luketa guys, is well, not slow either. No, 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 no. But so I've got the next guy up is Quay Walker. Yeah, I like Quay Walker t- is 
He's the third Georgia linebacker. Yeah, and it's funny that you like the uh, the, the you like the other guy more than him. And the Kobe Dean gets all the press. I uh, saw a tweet that a quote tweet that EJ had for I think it was Schrager's mock draft, and I think he had Quay going to Buffalo, and yeah. you I think put in your tweet like, no, you don't do Quay over Nicobe Dean. And well, I. If Quay goes over Dean or Tyndall, in my opinion, it's all about Edmonds. It's all about potential because Quay is huge. He is the biggest of the three. He has the most, what I'll call, athletic potential in terms of size, speed. But when you look at him on tape, they asked him to do – they each sort of had their own individual – Role. Again, three linebackers on the national champ team. Kobe Dean was the leader, the captain, uh, certainly the smaller and, and definitely in on nickel coverage. Tyndall was the heavier sort of inside guy, but again, super athletic. And Quay was the guy they asked to do all this sort of other stuff like, hey, we've got a you know 6'3 slot receiver and we need a 240, whatever it is, six pound linebacker to run with him. You can do that. We're going to ask you to do that. But when it comes down to, again, linebackery things, I thought he was he had the least bite, right? He was the least likely to go stick his nose in the pile. Now, some teams don't mind that at all. Um, For me, specifically for linebacker, that's a thing. Um, Well, it's a problem. (laughs) I don't want a guy who pussyfoots around. I want a guy who, listen, if it's one of those things where playing linebacker is kind of like getting into a fight. You're either in or you're out. There isn't a half. There's no half measures here. I (laughs) agree. And Parcells quote about that was if they don't bite when they're puppies, they're not going to bite when they're dogs because the bite is the thing as a linebacker, right? That is not a thing in my opinion that you teach someone. A guy either has that, or he doesn't. And Quay doesn't really play that way. He's not overly physical, which sounds weird because he's a linebacker at Georgia and he's massive and he's really fast too. I mean, he is, he's a crazy athlete. So a lot of people, and it is the potentially the, the ones that focus on potential Quay is quote unquote surging or rising or whatever, like teams that want to gamble on, we need the craziest athlete at the position. That's why Quay is going up. If you have folks who are a little bit more the way I am and are focusing on tape, and there, there's a lot of tape of him at Georgia playing very high-level opponents, he's not bad. I'm not saying he's bad. What I'm saying is I want my linebackers to do some different things, and I think, in my opinion, Tyndall is the combination of size, speed, physicality, and that ability to, to go get it. Okay. Um, so, so for the, so for the Bills, if you were going to pursue one of these three guys, you'd prefer it be Tyndall over Quay Walker just based on the fact that this guy's a little too it really comes down to what they want but even Edmonds who had you know similar size similar physical gifts to Quay Walker Edmonds was for not knowing where he was going still really aggressive. <laughs> I mean he would he would slam into his own guy just as hard that's he what, would go hit something so you what, didn't again you didn't need to coach that into him you just needed to say hey we need to get your targeting system cleaned up that's one of the funniest things I don't know you don't know where you're going but whatever you're doing you're gonna do it at full speed you're gonna do it with aggression if, hey I can get behind that if yeah exactly you you know uh 
it was funny. Uh, Tommy Harris, uh, the Bill, or sorry, the Bear uh, defensive lineman was on a podcast this week, and they were talking about him and Erlacher, and he was talking <laughs> about what Erlacher used to say to him, and he was like, "Look, if you're gonna choose the wrong gap, stay there, dummy. <laughs> like, just hit it, and I'll clean up the other one, but don't realize halfway through that you got the wrong one and switch." Right. And so coaches will say this play fast, you know, fail fast. Do do it, but do it at full speed. And if it's wrong, we'll clean it up. And Edmonds was that if you looked at his Virginia Tech tape, like he would fire through the wrong gap, like the completely wrong gap at full speed. And it was like, what are you doing? And but he would do it at full speed. So it was just like, hey, if you can if you can align that to the right gap, yeah, he's going to crush people. And that's where he's gotten to. Okay. I'll buy that. Now for my outside the SEC pick, Chris, because I can grow. I'm a human being. Oh, drum roll, please. I'm I'm capable of growth. Uh, Wisconsin, they got this guy, (laughs) Leon Chanel. Uh huh. 6'2, 250, 6'2, posting the fourth best RAS score for a linebacker ever at a 9.9. I, he's, it's, Absurd that there's this many freakish athlete linebackers mm-hmm. in this class. He's a load at the position. The 10 and 20 yard splits is what I saw, and I was like, oh, mm-hmm. give give me a little bit of that close to the line of scrimmage. I mean, this guy, when you look at him physically and you see him, he's all rocked up. He looks like what those old, Chris, those old N64 wrestling games. If you did oh, the create yeah. a character mode and you just maxed out all the stats for your character, but the you ran out of points for height, and so your guy just had to be short, that's <laughs> this guy. And it's wild watching him play in the way that he was used because Jim Leonard ran a real aggressive scheme over there. Yeah. Oh, no, I've dug into this because I, I watched a couple games, and I go, you know what? This guy looks fun. I need to know more oh, about this. So I started yes. digging into it. Limited short area area coverage he's not gonna wow anybody with his ability to play zone you're never going to ask him to what take like a he's never gonna take three steps back to the back of the the tackle box that's never gonna happen but around the line of scrimmage the way he comes downhill so quickly the aggressiveness that he uses when he's attacking offensive linemen he's like hey listen you you might be taller than me don't care i'm lower and i'm gonna bulldog you I can't. Oh, I can't remember who the opponent was, but I watched him just roll up somebody's guard, and it was one of the best things because the guards saw him coming, had time to get set, and it reminded Doesn't me. Matter. Of, it reminded me of one of those moments in like movies where, all right, I'm ready for you now, and you just get railroaded. It was that he saw him coming and couldn't do anything about it. When I think about that, what we were talking about, that 25 percent of snaps. Hey, I need an aggressive around the line of scrimmage linebacker. This guy screams to me a fit for that kind of role. Would you agree with me? Hundred percent. The Hot. problem is he's too good for that. <laughs> and by too good for that, I mean he is really good at going forward. And you nailed it. He's never going to go backwards. You're never going to ask him to fade into zone coverage. Um, he. Honestly, is like an edge in a shorter body because every highlight of Leo Chanel is the same. It is him screaming forward at full speed, blasting who's ever in front of him. You, there's not a lot of hand use. There's not a lot of sidestepping, <laughs> no spin moves. Like it is him going full boat 
into somebody, through somebody, and then destroying the ball carrier behind him. So a couple of things about Chanel. So he and he's this crazy athlete, as you mentioned. Like he he's like an Erlacher level athlete, and you know what that means yeah. coming from me. He is exceptional as an athlete. So besides Lloyd from Utah, who's my inside linebacker one. He had 22 tackles for loss, and that has to do with the fact that he's really skilled. He's got some edge to him. He's got great size, and he's really smart. After that, the next number of TFLs out of the top linebackers, Chanel, 18 and a half tackles for loss. If you're looking at sacks and you're talking about all the top guys that we've Mm -hmm. talked about and some of those that we haven't, but again, the top seven or eight inside linebackers in the draft, he has the most sacks at eight. Next is Lloyd with seven, and then you got a couple of guys, 5.5 and six. Interceptions? Nope. (laughs) Not his thing. (laughs) Passes defended? Nope, zero. (laughs) Not his thing. Goose egg. Forced fumbles, two, which is tied for the lead with like five other guys because, again, he hits people and everything (laughs) just explodes and the ball comes out. So if you – he is. He is – and I'll just read you this because uh, we did our position rankings at bootleg. And I had to write about Chanel. And this is my blurb about Chanel. Chanel's a beast. In some ways, I feel he's hitting the NFL 10 years after what would have been his perfect moment in the league. Imagine if you took Greg Lloyd and hooked him up to a Tesla battery. Chanel is all about one direction, forward. His highlights are uniform. Him blasting into, around, or through over some poor soul trying to stop him and smashing the ball carrier or QB over and over and over again. I feel like he's more of an edge. And if you categorize him as that, his RAS is still, if you change his, his categorization in RAS, which you can do Mm -hmm. to an edge, which is one of the highest athletic categories. So usually when you change somebody to ed edge, their RAS takes a drop. If you change Chanel to edge, he's still 9.85. <laughs> so here's this guy that what are you going to do with him? Like you're going to stick him out there. I I imagine like the old Steelers linebackers, right? Not because Steelers yeah. have gone lighter and faster at linebacker. The old Steelers linebackers, the, the Greg Lloyds of the world, the, you know, Kevin and everybody else that just like those huge hulking guys they had that just blasted forward, you know, Jason Gilden that just destroyed people like, that's one of those guys like all hopped up is Leo Chanel. Like, but that guy doesn't really exist. He's 20% of the snaps in the current NFL is what you said. So you've got this guy that's really good at that role has demonstrated it over and over again in a power conference. He's going to come to the NFL and they're going to be like, well, we can't really put you out there if you don't cover unless we make you an edge, but you're too short. So what are we going to do? But he's a, he's a fantastically fun player to watch. I'm fascinated to see where he's going to land because He's got this very narrow skill set, but he is elite at it. So it sounds to me like he's the type of player that it just takes a team to fall in love with him and have a plan for him. And that's going to dictate his... Because I was going to say, part of my question was going to be his draft, like where you think he might go in the draft. But at this point, as we're talking about it, it sounds like it's static. It could be anywhere. It could be as late as the second, third... Somebody could fall in love with him early on day two and just say, listen, yeah. I see a Again, life I for him in our defensive scheme. That's right. If he goes to the Patriots, yeah. like Bill knows how to use him, that's not going to be a great scenario for you. He's going to have some highlights against the Bills and everybody else he plays against because he he's just yeah. – he's 
too you know much what, to handle. Yeah, well, our quarterback, uh, what was it? He was the 27th most, uh, he was the most pressured quarterback in the NFL and had the 27th most yep. sacks. I'll take that. I did, Leo Chanel, I'm not, I'm not afraid of him. I just like to see him in a Bills uniform I if just, it's cost effective. Now, yeah, so a couple of couple of fits, he'd be really nasty, but uh, he is a guy that could tumble because people are going to look for that versatility, and and that's not the strength of his game. And before we let you go, it's something now that we're digging into position groups that, as we kind of led in with, these aren't just you know the position groups we started with were all luxuries. These are now mm. things. Now you're talking about drafting things that we have no choice. You may have to get in. You may have to jump into the pool. Yes. Who are some names out there that you're afraid of when you think about where they're currently oh. being valued and that you're like, hey, guys, I really hope your team doesn't do X. Who are some guys in this draft class that you think are getting more, I don't know, more attention than they maybe deserve more like that you're afraid of just in terms of what their NFL upshot might be? Yeah, we already talked about one, and it's Quay Walker, not because he's a bad football player, uh, but because his value is going so high right now. And that sets a young player up, any young player. Whereas if you drafted Quay Walker in the third, which is probably where he would have gone, you know, maybe even a couple of months ago, um, I think expectations are a lot more reasonable. Hey, this is a third rounder. He's a guy that can grow into a contributing role, maybe be a starter as the tail end of a rookie contract. Like, great, cool. If you draft Quay Walker at like 20 and he's slow to pick something up, that's fan base is going to be all over him. Like that's a really pressurized situation. So it's not that I think Quay Walker is a bad football player. It's that, Ooh, you better have a plan. You better not ask him to do the things he's not great at, i.e., hey, we need you to go slam into the pulling guard, you know, nine out of ten times. Not mm-hmm. not really his strength. If he ends up in a situation like that, because, look, it happens. GMs and coaching staffs don't always mesh. Maybe the owner's a Georgia alum. Like, it, there's just weird stuff that happens like that. If he ends up in a bad situation, it could be rough for him because he's a good player and he has a lot of upside, I don't think he's an automatic day one difference maker starter. And if you're drafting, especially a linebacker in the first round, people are going to expect that. Anybody else out there, anybody that, especially for a four, three defense that you're like, ah, don't stay away from this guy because I'd like to know. Yeah. It's not so much stay away from it's again, there's a lot of hype and people need to have reasonable expectations. And one of those guys is Troy Anderson. Uh, for Montana State, went to the Senior Bowl, uh, ran a very good time, super athletic, um, lower level of competition, played offense for a while, so he's kind of new to defense. <laughs> he is oh, no. athletic as all get out. Like, you yeah. cannot get more athletic than Troy Anderson. Yeah, so was Tim position. Tebow. <laughs> yeah, no. Athleticism. I mean, the guy we talked about earlier, Grant Morgan. Not a tremendous athlete. I mean, if you're looking at just pure athleticism, great football player. Um, now, Troy Anderson can be a great football player. If, if we want to go back to the Edmonds comp, as we have a bunch of other times, tremendous athlete who's still learning the position, uh, you know, solid football player, but there are definitely plays, especially when he's being asked to take advantage of some of his strengths, which are size and speed. Hey, why don't you drop into some zone coverage? Because we think you're good at that. He's lost in zone coverage right now. He's pretty good in man because he's fast enough to run with people. But when he drops in zone coverage, he's one of those guys that's doing this. He's just looking around going, what what am I really doing here? He kind of floats to empty spaces. He's got some learning to do about football, but uh, from the defensive side, 
but a lot of people like Troy Anderson, look at him. He's big. He's super fast. He's going to be a great linebacker. He might be, but if you draft him, expect him to be that right off, it's probably not going to match up to the reality, especially when he makes a competition jump to the NFL. Chris, I've enjoyed this conversation. I think we've gotten a lot out of it. Yeah. I think I'm our, all out of Woodenville. <laughs> I think our <laughs> then you enjoyed it more than we did. Yeah. I, I think our listeners have gotten a lot out of this because I feel like I'm more educated now about what's out there for the Buffalo Bills at linebacker. And I think it helps temper some of the expectations that might exist. Because again, there are fans who believe that this is like grocery shopping. Just, oh, I have a need here. Well, I, I, you just go into the draft and get that, right? You just go, mm. hey, you need this thing? Well, that's what the draft is. You go to the draft and you get it. This, <laughs> this isn't Sam's Club. It's not Costco. You don't just show up and, hey, we have racks of things that you might need. It's far more nuanced than that. And you guys spend an incredible amount of time over at Bootleg breaking that down for people like me and Chris and our listeners. Because let's face it, if you guys are here, we said it, we said it a couple weeks ago, you're not here because Chris and I are the smartest people behind microphones. <laughs> That's not why you're here. But so with that in mind, right, I take a look at what you guys have put out over at Bootleg. You've got your all-22, your all-ceiling team you guys just released. You've got another show just about offensive gems. You've got some defensive gems, which I like some of yours, and I like the fact that you stole a couple of Bretts. That always makes me happy. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> Guys, go check out Bootleg Football, YouTube podcast form. Why don't you tell everybody what you guys have coming up in the next couple weeks leading up to, like you alluded to earlier, Christmas. What do you guys have planned between now and then? A lot. Uh, <laughs> there's there's a lot coming out. So we've got the bootleg main channel, bootleg football. Uh, we also have bootleg football clips now, which is shorter format content. We've got a bunch of our interviews from the Shrine Bowl. Uh, we had great access there this year. So there's four player interviews there right now. There's probably going to be double that by draft time. Uh, we're working on getting those up right now. Uh, we did a draft Q&A live stream, which is recorded on the bootleg channel last night. That was a couple hours worth of just answering fan draft questions. A uh, ton of fun. Next week, we'll have uh, another podcast coming out mid to late week, probably Wednesday or Thursday. And then the next week, we really start into uh, what for us is the crown jewel event of the year, which is the NFL draft live stream. So we'll start off with a couple hours of coverage on Wednesday. Again, just a draft Q&A sort of party. It's here. Draft starts on Thursday. We'll fire it up an hour before round one starts. We'll be with you uh, live streaming the whole thing all the way through round one. Uh, we'll do that with all the rounds. We'll be there about half an hour early on day two, follow through rounds two and three. And then Saturday is the real, uh, Saturday is the real gold mine for us. We'll start again about half an hour early and be with you rounds four through seven and wrap up uh, because th this is one of the deepest drafts in a long time with the COVID bump. Uh, it's one of the largest drafts in a long time. There's something like 1600 eligible players for, you know, what is, what are 260 ish draft spots. So even the undrafted free agent market's going to be a ton of fun. So that'll be about 22 hours worth of content over four days around the draft. Oh, oh. Yeah. Better so you guys were us. like, Oh, we, Jesus. we, we live streamed the first round. And I was like, Oh, that sounds terrible. It, Tell me more. Yeah. Yeah. We live streamed the first round once. Yeah. Once and once. And now in this year, there's rumblings that I may, Chris, we may be reigniting the uh, 
the draft Rocks. live stream over at the Rock Sports Network show over at Batavia Downs at Thurman's 34 Rush Ooh. or his sports bar. We might be doing that again this year. We're piecing it together this week. We'll have more information next week. Right. But we got we got tips if you need them. Well, this is it. <laughs> this is what I'm saying. Like what you guys do is win, and nothing will make me happier than going back and rewatching. Even just re-listening to, because Chris clipped the audio, because that's what a good producer he is. Just listening to Brett's reaction when the Chiefs drafted, uh, what's that? Clyde Edwards Hilaire. Yeah, CEH. He was was a big one for us. It was one of the best moments in draft live stream history. I'll put that. I'll put that on anybody <laughs> on anything that's ever been short of when I melted down and almost destroyed our live stream show because the Bills took uh, because the Bills took who who we take uh, J.K. Dobbins. We chose A.J. Epinesa over J.K. Dobbins, yep. and you had just gotten me a brand new bottle of Woodenville, and I was halfway through it. Oh yeah, that's why you don't let me drink whiskey during the NFL draft. Well, the the downside to this uh, E.J. is that. Uh, Drew's birthday is in 10 days, so as customary, I get him a bottle of whiskey, and it's usually something that he's never had before. So at draft time, he's whiskey, a new bottle of whiskey that I've never had, and something happened that I don't like in the draft, so I'm going to drink a bottle. (laughs) And and he said that our reaction was the best thing to ever happen in the history of draft live streams. I'm I'm saying that some of those fueled reactions are probably right up there. Uh, Ah. EJ, where can people find you on social media? Where can they follow you guys over at Bootleg? So it's Bootleg Football Podcast on YouTube. We're also on all the audio outlets. Also the Bootleg Football Clips channel now on YouTube. And as far as socials, both of us are on Twitter, but I am at the Draftsman FB, as in football on Twitter. Um, that's where we find most of my content, including all my late night scouting musings, uh, which some people find charming and other people don't. So <laughs> buyer beware. EJ Snyder, Bears Over Beers podcast, bootleg football podcast. He's on Twitter at the Draftsman FB. He's an animal. Like, between him and Brett, like, when do these guys sleep? I don't know. All they do is watch tape. It's this is the, and this is the beauty of what we do, Chris. I mean, I, I don't think we work that hard. <laughs> I think we I think we put time and effort into our craft, and at the same time, I sleep at night. <laughs> Or at least, well, I will be once this friggin' kid stops crying. But but either way, I, I feel a little bit better about the depth of this linebacker class. And I think that whether the team goes out there into free agency and gets into those murky waters to try to sort out a deal, or what they try to do, I think that there's plays to be made. And I guess I feel a little bit more at peace with how this depth chart might shake out if they do decide, hey, we can go out there and find that role. I still don't know what to think of the middle linebacker thing. I, guys, what do you think? At Rockpile Report, Edmonds trade, things come off the rails. Who do you like out of this class and why? Best explanation? You're going to get your, it's grill season. You're going to get yourself some free Q42 barbecue. The best pick and explanation of why you like that player. At Rockpile Report on Twitter, rockpilereport716 at gmail.com. Go ahead, give us your best answer as far as who you'd like to see replace Tremaine Edmonds, if you think that that's wise. Sell it to me. Whoever does the best, has the best pick and explanation for it, get yourself a little bit of free barbecue rub and sauce. Compliments of our friends Iman over at Q42 Barbecue, the official barbecue sauce of the Rockpile Report tailgate. Guys, always a great conversation when we have the bootleg football guys on, but we got to get the hell out of here. I'm Drew Gear. 
That's Chris Krueger. That was EJ Snyder. And this has been your Rock Pile Report. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.